All right. So thank you for that incredibly wonderful and uplifting story of how our um, system is shifting and compassion and courage is a good way to support that journey. And now over to Darren Sharp. Bring it on, Darren. Inequality and technology. Woohoo! Thanks so much, Michelle. Uh, good afternoon. It's really great to, to be with you here today. Um, I'm going to be talking about technology and inequality, and I want to start by offering a series of um, provocations to really uh, get us, to, to really get better at noticing how digital technologies, and especially the platform economy, which is an area that I'm um, heavily uh, involved in, do a lot of research and work in, and also emerging advances in automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence is creating a new economy right before our eyes, but not the new economy that we're working towards. Uh, I'll also provide some examples of how we can take back the new economy with a nod to Gibson, Graham, Cameron and Healy, uh, and use these same technologies to enable local control, democratic ownership and build support for the commons. So to kick things off, I'd like to start with a vision of the future that we must avoid at all costs, and it's from Matthew de Abatua's 2015 sci-fi novel, If Then, which is set in the near future after the collapse of society as we know it. One English town survives under the protection of the computer algorithms of the process, which governs every aspect of their lives. The process gives and it takes. It allocates jobs and resources, giving each person exactly what is calculated they will need but it also decides who stays under its protection and who must be banished to the wilderness beyond. Human life has become totally algorithm-driven. So this sounds rather dystopian, to say the least, and you might be thinking, you know, that's a, a bit extreme. I mean, most of us use Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft and Apple on a, a daily basis. Uh, so beyond our concerns about too much screen time and internet addiction, we generally accept these companies into our lives with little thought. More recent platform economy players like Uber and Airbnb that provide the infrastructure for a range of on-demand services for millions of customers, drivers and hosts have exploited network effects to become virtual monopolies through rent-seeking business models. Most consumers of these services pay little if any attention to how these platform monopolies exacerbate things like the housing affordability crisis and precarious work in the gig economy. So as someone with a background in media studies and critical theory, I decided to run a, a thought experiment using Marshall McLuhan's Tetrad of Media Effects, or Laws of Media, as a conceptual tool to evaluate the effects on society of any new technology. So here are the four questions McLuhan invites us to ask. One, what does the technology enhance or intensify? Two, what does the technology make obsolete? Three, what does the technology retrieve that had been obsolesced earlier? And four, what does the technology flip into when pushed to the extreme? So here's my attempt to briefly and incompletely provide some provisional responses to McLuhan's four questions that need to be asked of any new technology. The first question is, what does the platform economy enhance or intensify? I'd suggest that it amplifies the use of data, which has become a critical resource in early 21st century capitalism. Data is giving rise to a new economy, screams a headline, from the May edition of The Economist. A World Economic Forum report from 2011 describes data as a vital new asset class and akin to the new oil of the 21st century, given its role in economic growth. 
Just think about all the services we use, like Google Search, Facebook, Amazon, and Siri, which rely on the extraction and optimization of data to create value. Nick Sinichek, in his recent book, Platform Capitalism, explains data's key role in the economy. To quote Nick, data have come to serve a number of key capitalist functions. They educate and give competitive functions to algorithms. They enable the coordination and outsourcing of workers. They allow for the optimization and flexibility of productive processes. And they make possible the transformation of low margin goods into high value services. So the second question is, what does the platform economy make obsolete? Over the last few years, a range of industries have been disrupted by various platforms. Sanjeet Paul Chowdhury describes the pipe as the dominant business model until recently. To quote Sanjeet, firms create stuff, push them out and sell them to customers. Value is produced upstream and consumed downstream. So this has now been obsolesced by the platform business model, which according to Chowdhury, unlike pipes, platforms do not just create and push stuff out, they allow users to create and consume value. At the business layer, users can create value on the platform for other users to consume. So Amazon is a really interesting case in point. It started out as a pipe business and decimated local bookstore chains, as we know. It then became a platform business when it launched Amazon Marketplace, which enabled external merchants to sell their goods via Amazon. So it's used its market power to pivot into a larger range of other categories, including fresh food, electronics, and apparel, including, including clothing and footwear. So now Amazon is set to open dedicated operations in Australia. It's um, just announced plans for a big distribution centre in Dandenong in Melbourne. Um, and this has the large retailers very worried. So according to a recent report by Morgan Stanley, Amazon is set to take a $12 billion bite out of Australia's retail pie within the next decade. So as Morgan Stanley's Thomas Kirath says, Amazon effectively is a pure play online department store that's super customer focused and has a very long-term investment horizon, so it doesn't mind losing money in the build-out phase, which is something common that we've seen in a lot of these platform businesses. The future outlook, according to the report, is for local retailer margins and market share to be squeezed, with employees first in the firing line when cost-cutting becomes necessary. Consumers are likely to only see a modest benefit in terms of price and range due to products being sold in Australia at a premium to US prices. And of course, you know, something to watch out for here is cost cutting that we're going to see across, you know, household names like Myers and DJs and West Farmer owned businesses. Apart from the unsustainable nature of a lot of that consumption, I think we're going to see massive um, unemployment as these platform businesses enter into the Australian marketplace and become more and more dominant. Um, the third question is what does the platform economy retrieve that had been obsolesced? So platforms draw on a range of themes related to personal empowerment and lateral engagement between peers. Think back to the early days of the so-called social media revolution and the excitement for the emergence of a new participatory subject, exemplified by what Jay Rosen described as the people formerly known as the audience. This was at the time when we were really excited about podcasting and blogs and all that user-generated content. More recently, Uber and Airbnb have drawn on sharing and community to sell their commercial services. Uh, so this capture and cooptation of social relations and peer-to-peer -peer connectedness has been dubbed sharewashing, which Anthony Kalemar describes as, quote, more than just misrepresenting things like renting, working and surveilling as sharing, it does more than just stretch and contort the meaning of the word sharing until it practically loses all meaning. It also disables the very promise of an economy based on sharing by stealing the very language we use to talk about it 
turning a crucial response to our impending ecological crisis into another label for the very same economic logic which got us into that crisis in the first place. The fourth question is what does the platform economy flip into when pushed to the extreme? So algorithms now control multiple aspects of daily life. A recent Wall Street Journal article describes how Unilever is using algorithms to sort applicants and recruit graduates. The company has hired over 450 people this way since last year, and the report claims that Goldman Sachs and Walmart have begun using similar digital tools. Uber's surge pricing algorithm infamously jacked up fares during the, the Sydney siege crisis. The Commonwealth Bank blamed the recent money laundering scandal on a software error uh, in the bank's smart ATMs. A niche, a niche of Stanford University sees algorithms taking over public and private activities in a new era of algocratic governance that replaces bureaucratic hierarchies. Harvard's Shoshana Zuboff has written about surveillance capitalism as an emerging logic of accumulation in the network sphere. Cathy O'Neill, author of Weapons of Math Destruction, How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy, has this to say. Algorithms are being used to determine how much we pay for insurance, more if your credit score is low, even if your driving record is clean, or what the terms of our loans will be, or what kind of political messaging we'll receive. There are algorithms that find out the weather forecast and only then decide on the work schedule of thousands of people, laying waste to their ability to plan for childcare and schooling, never mind a second job. Their popularity relies on the notion they are objective. The algorithms that power the data economy are based on choices made by fallible human beings. And while some of them were made with good intentions, the algorithms encode human prejudice, misunderstanding, and bias into automatic systems that increasingly manage our lives. Like gods, these mathematical models are opaque. Their workings invisible to all but the highest priests in their domain, mathematicians and computer scientists. Their verdicts, even when wrong or harmful, are beyond dispute or appeal and they tend to punish the poor and the oppressed in our society while making the rich richer. The alarming fact that algorithms are supplanting human intelligence, judgment and common sense in a growing number of spheres should make us all indignant, to say the least. So here are some ways we can wrestle control back. So number one, if the platform economy amplifies the use of data, then we must try to minimise the extraction and optimise, and, and sorry, and commodification of our personal data. Stop using Facebook so much or find a replacement like Diaspora or social.coop running on Mastodon, open source social network alternatives where you get to own your own data. Data ownership and individual sovereignty are the key issues here. To quote Aral Balkan, Facebook isn't a social network, it's a scanner that digitizes human beings. It is for all intents and purposes, the camera that captures your soul Facebook's business is to simulate you and to own and control your simulation, thereby owning and controlling you. Various initiatives are trying to strengthen data democracy. My Data, for example, is a platform co-op that enables citizens to gather different health-relevant and other personal data in one secure place. Two, if the platform economy makes the pipe business model obsolete, then let's leverage platform cooperativism to its full capacity to create new, the new economy that we actually want. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the whole platform cooperative movement, we're seeing Stocks United, a stock photography business emerge in recent years, uh, Loconomics, Fairmondo or some others, and we have one of our very own emerging here in Australia, Beehive Co-op in Bendigo, which is set to become Australia's first platform co-op. 
And Trevor Schultz, he's developed 10 principles for platform cooperativism, which I think are worth repeating here. One, collective ownership. Two, decent pay and income security. Three, transparency and data portability. Four, appreciation and acknowledgement. Five, co-determined work. Six, a protective legal framework. Seven, portable workers' protection and benefits. Eight, protection against arbitrary behaviour. Nine, rejection of excessive workplace surveillance. And 10, the right to log off. If the platform economy co-ops and distorts the language of sharing, then let's use open peer-to-peer -peer technology to build a genuine sharing economy grounded in mutualism and solidarity. To borrow some ideas from Michelle Bowens and the Peer-to-Peer -peer Foundation, let's start using copy fair licensing to bolster the economic resilience of commoners by allowing us to capitalise content while maintaining full sharing and demanding reciprocity from for-profit entities. Let's design global, manufacture local, develop commons manufacturing that's geared towards modularity, durability and customisation. Let's mutualise physical infrastructure to create a true sharing economy with more efficient use of resources, such as shared data or manufacturing facilities. Finally, if the platform economy, when pushed to the extreme, results in a society and economy controlled by algorithms, then let's counter that with radical experiments in participatory democracy and co-governance, like the Bologna Regulation for the Care and Regeneration of Urban Commons, and citizen movements like Barcelona on Comu, which has formed minority government at the municipal level to run a range of experiments in progressive change. So I hope my talk today has inspired you to think differently about our relationship to the technologies we use every day and how together as a network, as a movement, we can wrestle back control and use these powerful tools to build the new economy we want. Thank you.